As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and each and every Friday, myself and co-host George Ellick will preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action alongside Bet365 and the Championship's Steve Reef. On this week's show, we'll reflect on another defeat for Arsenal in a bigger way game. We'll discuss what the near future might look like for Raheem Sterling and is there any point Everton sticking with Benitez and much, much more. But we'll start with Manchester United 3, Arsenal 2, the game on Thursday evening. We'll focus on Arsenal later on in the show so we won't worry about them too much now. But Michael Carrick is leaving Manchester United after stepping down as first team coach pretty much on the full-time whistle. Our Manchester United correspondent Laurie Whitwell is fresh from Rangnick's first press conference as Manchester United manager. We asked him about Carrick's legacy and his decision to leave. Just been with Ralph Rangnick for his first press conference at Old Trafford and he gave a very assured, eloquent performance. And he touched on Michael Carrick, who um, they had a conversation a couple of days ago and Rangnick wanted him to remain as coach, um, but Michael Carrick had made his mind up. And I think that sort of shows the character that he's got. He clearly looked at the situation and decided that it wasn't for him to continue um, after being a part of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's coaching staff. And a large part, I think, is the family aspect where He'd said to his family after retiring from playing that he'd spend more time with them. And in the end, it's gone the opposite direction. He's gone straight into coaching. And then even this interim manager's position is is sort of the intensity, the scrutiny is is raised another notch. So he can go away and and take some time for himself, for his his family and children who wants to go and see some Manchester United matches with. Um, They've been badgering him apparently to to take him in the away end. Um, I think as a fan and a journalist looking at Michael Carrick's career at Manchester United, he, he's done remarkably well. He will go down as, as one of a, a you know really select few greats at Manchester United because I don't say that lightly. You know, the questions were asked when he joined the club from Tottenham. Could he handle the step up? Um, and actually, United won the title for three successive seasons as soon as he joined. Won another couple of Premier League titles, won the Champions League, made another couple of Champions League finals and, and numerous other trophies. And I think that 
sort of shows in a, a period when United were in a little bit of turbulence, when other players were retiring, you know, the class of 92 boys were stepping away. He was the consistent presence in that midfield and he, he kept United in possession of the ball like a metronome. You know, I think that can, particularly in this current team, uh, you're sort of looking at a situation thinking Michael Carrick would be an incredible addition to that midfield. Um, so, yeah, I think he leaves with his head held high. We, we watched him do numerous broadcast interviews as the rain was pouring down at Old Trafford last night and then he came in with us. Um, in the press conference and spoke very openly. You could sense the emotion in his voice. Um, but yeah, he'd made his mind up a couple of days ago uh, and Ranić, for all his efforts to try and keep him safe, was, was unable to. So I think um, everyone wishes Michael Carrick all the best and I think he's got a lot to offer football. He's you know, clearly a smart guy and a passionate guy. Um, so let's hope he kind of comes back into the game at some point in the future. George Carrick can hold his head up high, really. Unbelievable managerial record in his short spell in charge. And it was a really, really interesting game against Arsenal last night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think Michael Carrick's made quite a smart decision here because if he wants to be a manager going forward, um, leaving United on the back of a, a win against Arsenal, uh, a good draw at uh, at Chelsea and then a win in the Champions League leaves him with quite a good record. Uh, and suddenly when you're looking at other managers, um, former international teammates of his, John Terry, Frank Lampard, who are going to be in the mix for similar jobs, I think Carrick can probably point at his three-game managerial record as being um, the most impressive of the lot. So be interesting to see where he turns up next. Um, but it was a great game. You know, it was a proper it was kind of a throwback game I would say to an extent it was an end-to-end tussle between two sides who have plenty of star quality on the pitch you know you look at the goal scorers even if Smith Rose was fortunate to an extent Smith Rowe Odegaard Bruno Cristiano Ronaldo these are these are box office players proper technical gifted exciting players to watch and both teams defensive frailties were, were laid clear as well so it was too often in, in the recent Premier League era, we've seen sides who are, who are towards the top end of the table or who have high aspirations um, playing games that, that look more like a game of chess than a game of football, uh, whereas this was a proper blood and thunder game with uh, with plenty of goals and plenty of intrigue as well, with, with United coming out on top, um, which which lays a, a brilliant foundation now for Ralph Ranić to come in. You know, you think back to when, when Oli was, was sacked at that time, United's immediate Champions League future was under threat. They had two very, very difficult games on the horizon from which they picked up four points. So Ranić comes in now, um, able to, you know, he, he mentioned in his press conference, a third of the season only has gone. He's got a whole Champions League campaign ahead of him and, uh, uh, you know, certainly now a platform from which to, to try and at the very least get fourth place. Yeah, and CR7, CR800, Steve. He's, like George said, he is absolute box office. And his record so far this season, you know, people can go on about pressing and all that jazz. But his goal-scoring record since he's come back to Manchester United is just where he's been everywhere else. It's incredible. But, you know, the games that they've won, you know, he's, he's been on the score sheet. He carried them over in the Champions League, didn't they? You know, in the group stages, scoring very important goals. And, of course, it's it's a great narrative, isn't it, now, to talk about Ronaldo and the lack of pressing, etc. Clearly, he's... Uh, First half, I thought he was very quiet last night. Second half, he, he came into it massively with uh, by bagging a brace, and we've and we've updated his goals now. From uh, mind you, still only eight to fifteen to get twenty or fewer. That was two to five before the game last night, and and, and nipped in thirty or more from sixty six to one into fifty, which is still, you know, extremely unlikely. He's still box office. You saw the relief on his face when he when he scored that. How he enjoyed it, the <laughs> celebrations. The players really enjoyed it too. Likewise, his second goal as well. And uh, he is very much box office. And of course, uh, Rangnick now will be hoping that that continues. And it will be interesting to see how he plays him, how often he plays him, where he plays him. 
Yeah, I mean, Ronaldo ran himself into the ground last night as well. He, he had to come off by the end of the game. One of the hardest I've ever seen him work. So that would be good. That would be encouraging for Ranić. Before we get into the first game of the weekend, remember you can sign up to The Athletic and save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sports. So that's just £3.33 a month for an entire year. To take advantage of that offer, just head to theathletic.com slash footballpod. And no sooner the one round of matches finishes, another begins. Christmas really is for football. So let's look at the first game of our weekend preview. It's West Ham versus Chelsea, Saturday lunchtime kickoff. And Steve, despite being top of the league, Chelsea four months into the season, we don't really know what their best front three is. I'm not sure it really matters when you've got 52 players to choose from in that, in those positions. But, you know, Lukaku hasn't, he's been injured, but he's not really hit the ground running since he's come back. His top goal scorer odds would have been pretty low, I would imagine. I imagine now they're pretty high. Yeah, and he's out to he's out to sixteen to one there, Dan, to be top top goal scorer, and uh, he's he's sixteen to one, you know, to get twenty five or more. He's only even money to get fifteen or fewer. Um, and we remember how well he started the season. You know, a blaze of glory, wasn't he? After that ninety seven and a half million pound move, I think it was noticeable how very clinical he was in those early stages. Three goals from five shots on target. I think he had two shots on target against you guys and and both went in. I think they dried up remarkably after that as well. Three goals now from an XG of three. They only had one shot on target since he's, uh, since the, that brace against the Villa in 400 minutes. So that will be a little concerning, but we're all waiting to see how well he does. Um, it's good to see him back playing first team football again. I mean, this, Timo Werner is a player, Dan, that I just cannot get my head round all the he was courted by so many teams wasn't he you know when you know when he came his output last season admittedly it's difficult for these these players to you know to come into the premier league the intensity of it all the training six goals his xg was double that and i thought this season he might be a little bit different admittedly he's been in and out the side but 17 shots that he's had five are on target he's got one goal from an xg of of 3.2 as well so the intensity of the premier league the confidence has probably hit him hard. I think a lot of clubs might be thinking, hmm, maybe we've dodged one there, but time will tell. Yeah, I don't suppose it matters that Lukaku's not been playing, Werner's not been scoring when your centre-backs are scoring every week and your wing-backs as well. But another funny player at Chelsea, George, is Ziyech. He scored the winner against Watford, but he really is a confusing player. Simon Johnson's been writing about him for The Athletic. He completed 10 out of 15 passes, lost possession nine times, got booked right after coming on, but then he scores the winner. There's a few funny players at Chelsea, yeah, there are. Um, he is a player who, in my opinion, um, is phenomenally good um, with his left foot. And, you know, unlike some right-footed, or sorry, unlike some one-footed players, um, he still seems to use his weaker foot a fair bit. And when he does, it, it's not as as uh, as cultured as, as the left foot. But, you know, he's a player who, that Ajax team he thrived in, still is a, a bit of an anomaly in terms of the way that they play. You know, you look at the top teams in Europe and generally it's, it's very possession-based, whereas Ten Hag likes to play a, a, a style that is, is very, very direct and you know, not direct in the, in the sense of kind of long ball, but just always looking to, to get the ball forward quickly as fast as possible, looking to, to get shots off wherever. You look at Dusan Tadic and the player that he was at Southampton compared to the player that he was at Ajax. I, I'm not necessarily sure that it translates that easily to coming into a side like Chelsea where Chelsea don't by any stretch play um, heavy possession-based football, but they are going to have the ball more often than not. They, they look to to keep it down, to play through the lines. And Ziyech is someone who is, is going to 
at least statistically, always be someone whose pass completion rate isn't going to be very high, who's going to have a lot of shots, probably not very good XG, um, high XG rated shots. But he's someone who similarly has that ability to um, do the do the unexpected and to to make a difference in games. And that's what happened in midweek because Watford gave um, Chelsea a massive scare. I thought I thought Watford were, were, were brilliant in the game. And Ziyech may not have done a great deal good whilst he was on the pitch, but crucially, he did the one thing that, that ended up winning them the game. So he's a player that I think has a a um, massive role to play at Chelsea when he's fit. But I'm not necessarily convinced he's someone who we're going to see starting 25, 30-odd games because the way he plays does mean he's a, he's a bit of a maverick. And it's hard to really... You know, the way that Thomas Tuchel likes to set up his teams it is it's fairly tactically rigid. And I don't think Ziyech necessarily um, fits into that, um, that style of play, basically. Someone that fits in very nicely, Steve, at West Ham is Declan Rice. But would you say that West Ham are going to need to qualify for the Champions League to make sure they keep him? Because I think he's had a few contract issues with West Ham and at some point he's going to want to test himself at the highest level and that is the Champions League and perhaps with their opponents this weekend, Chelsea. Yeah, similarities to Jack here, do yeah, you think? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, season on season, um, you, know, you just see the absolute quality and, and, and the performance levels that he's putting in. I've told you this before, you know, I'll hold my hands up and say he's one of the players that as a, as a non-watching West Ham, you know, you know, a regular watcher of West Ham, I didn't quite get the hype. And then you watch quite a bit more of him and then you could, and, and then you really understand it. I thought he was like paceless, you know, when I first watched it, I thought he was really well. lacking paces, but, but yeah, but the way he gets around the pitch, the quality on the ball, and I suppose he wants to kick on as well for, for a whole host of reasons to win things. And of course, to, uh, to do well with England as well. So yeah, a, a very talented individual. George, Antonio was subdued again on Wednesday night in a 1-1 draw with Brighton, according to the Athletics' Roshane Thomas. He hasn't scored since the Spurs game back in October. He's quite an injury-prone player, Antonio. Probably not helped by knowing he is the only striker at the football club. Do they need to add some more firepower in January? Because again, they've got a good shout at top four this season. That If he was to get injured, it would feel like it would be a big miss that they didn't have another striker and didn't make that push for the top four in a season where it is achievable. Yeah, I think they they certainly could. You know, you look back to last season where they finished sixth, and Antonio and, and Salchek were the two top Premier League goal scorers, both on ten. You then got Jesse Lingard, who got nine in that short loan spell. So they definitely need to bring in goals. I wonder if bringing in, I mean, it could fit, could feasibly be Lingard again to to come in in January to to provide that. Whether or not it's, they need a necessarily an out and out striker um, to vie. Um, for that up top position with Antonio, I think Antonio is so important to them. And, and you look at, you know, going back to talking about players who haven't done it in the Premier League but uh, have been good at Ajax. You know, they brought in Sebastian Alle, um, who clearly had a, a pretty torrid time there before going to Ajax and scoring an absolute hatful of goals, both domestically and and in Europe. So, whether it's bringing in goals elsewhere on the pitch, like with Lingard, I think would probably be be the way to do this. I mean, Antonio is a player that I've got massive time for, but I think people have to remember that he he isn't a prolific goal scorer. He, he's never scored more than 10 goals in a Premier League season. He's well on his way to doing that for the first time this campaign uh, on six already, despite the the short drought. Um, but he's not someone who I anticipate is ever going to be a 20 goal a season striker for West Ham. Um, but he offers them a lot more than just goals. You know, his his running of the channels is 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 so important to the way that they play. Um, having players like Ben Rama and Lanzini and Fornals who should chip in with goals. Having a striker like um, Antonio, who is so good at, at pulling out wide and creating that space inside, is is very important as well. Um, it, it couldn't hurt to have another option, I guess. Um, but if I was 
you know, in terms of bringing in more goals, I don't think it's necessarily replacing Antonio. It's finding someone who can add, um, as Lingard did last season, adds without necessarily taking his spot. Yeah. Can we have a tip from you, please, George, for this game? Yeah, I think there should be goals here, really. I mean, I know that Chelsea under Tuchel don't concede a great deal, but West Ham at home normally score. You know, we've seen them score in all of their last eight home Premier League games in that time. They've scored three against Liverpool. They've scored once against Spurs. They've scored once against Manchester United. Now, under David Moyes, they aren't a defensive side. They're a team who will fancy their chances at home to anybody. And we saw, um, as I mentioned, Watford really got at Chelsea uh, in midweek. And I think they were unlucky not to get a point, at least from the game, um, caused them no end of troubles going forwards uh, especially you know in that last 15-20 minutes they're really knocking on the door to get an equaliser so I, I do think Chelsea are there to be got at um, even if they're not going to concede loads of goals this season um, but I think 19-20 to 20, uh, for both teams to score so near enough even money when you've got a West Ham team who who do score goals at home uh, against decent sides uh, is definitely a bit of value and you know maybe Lukaku this could be his first start back um, which would see a chance for him to, to get back amongst the goals. You'd fancy Chelsea, I think, to score against most teams. Um, but I think that's a, a genuine, a gen, generous BTTS for a West Ham side who, who tend to, to score and both concede at home. Next on the agenda is Watford against Manchester City, Saturday tea time game. So we're going to take a look at the Raheem Sterling situation. Kind of in and out of the team, but he's kind of waited for Jack Grealish to get injured, Pep. And then he has given Sterling a run in that side. And he's, he's played really well, actually, in the games I've seen for Manchester City, Steve. And he was very good on Wednesday night at Villa Park. It was reported by The Athletic a couple of months ago that he would be open to a move away from the Etihad. But how crazy would it be for City to let him go? Because he is still an outstanding footballer. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so long ago, Dan, that he was one of the favourites to win the golden ball at the Euros. He was he was great at the Euros, scoring vital goals, wasn't he, as well? Um, 647 minutes he's only played uh, so far this season. Cast your minds back to that opening game where against Tottenham where they lost and he was hooked after 60-odd 60, 60 minutes, I think it was. And then we didn't see much of him since, really. I mean, it, it was a disappointing season for him. I think on the, on the goal returns last season, I think he only got 10 um, the season before that, he's he's got I think he got twenty goals and finished fourth in the in the Premier League top goalscorer charts as well. Just just three off Vardy, so it's good to see him back in form. Like you say, injuries have, have have opened the door for him again. We've all seen his quality. The bad news for Watford, Dan, is his record against them is is, is absolutely fantastic. Uh, five starts, nine goals, seven in the last three games. So he's he's five to one to score the first goal and. 25 to 1 to score a hat trick, which he did uh, against them just, just three games ago. So that Watford defence better be uh, better be ready for Raheem Sterling. It's interesting with the the Sterling um, arc because this is is something that seems to be quite consistent in the last couple of seasons with, with players under Pep Guardiola, where so many players seem to fall out of favour and seem to be on the brink of leaving before getting a reprieve. You know, you look at Amaric Laporte, who couldn't get into the side last season, started all the games at the beginning of the season ahead of John Stones. You've got Gabriel Jesus, who looked to be on his way out as well, couldn't nail down that striker role. Now starting, you know, it's one of the first teams on the team sheet, basically playing on the right-hand side. Bernardo Silva, he's now, I think, Steve, third favourite for, for PFA Player of the Year. I mean, 12, someone 12 again, to one, yeah. yeah. He, he was someone who, who, who was being taught, you know, he, after that brilliant season a couple of years ago, he was on the decline, he wanted to leave. Uh, and at the moment, Ferran Torres looks to be trying to force his way out to, to a Barcelona side who I have absolutely no idea how they'll be able to afford the transfer fee or the, or the wages. And he's not getting into the squad. And, and Sterling seems to be the latest to have gone through that process of being... Um, 
you know, taken out of the, of the firing line and then coming back in and, and playing incredibly well. Whether we can give Pep Guardiola and his team credit for, for this being a uh, management style of getting the best out of his players, I'm not entirely sure. But for a, for a club and a, a manager and a team who are so meticulous in every single detail of, of the way that they're run, it's almost quite strange that they have this process of, of seemingly casting players aside only to, to bring them back to, to good effect. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be courting Pep Guardiola. I mean, I've gone back to Steve's time there with the word courting, but you wouldn't want to be trying to build a relationship with Pep. Would you very much of the trait and main keep him keen mentality? You've touched on Bernardo Silva there, Steve. I saw him in the flesh again on, on, on Wednesday. Incredible footballer. He's been the best player on the pitch every game I've seen Manchester City play this season, to be perfectly honest. And his goal... Which is, I mean, the whole goal was beautiful, but the finish was absolutely wonderful. And you know, it's a good goal when a whole stand stands up and claps. And it was just a brilliant, brilliant goal. And he is a brilliant, brilliant player. Yeah, the, of course, the goal, the the counter attack, you know, the finish. Uh, I think we've seen the levels that we've seen from a couple of seasons ago from him. Yeah. I know he's not really, he, we're not really, he's not really judged on his goals, is he? Really, but he's got five already this season, which is which is a good start, adding to the quality and the and the vision that he has. And I think he's also benefited from from injuries, of course, because not many avoid the Pep roulette. I think there's him and Rodri that are that, that are certainly avoiding that at the moment. He's starting 13 Premier League games, I think, uh, so so far this season, and I think maybe with Leipzig just around the corner then I think a, a well-earned rest may be, uh, may be on the horizon for Bernard, uh, Bernardo Silva who as George mentioned earlier he's one he's, he's I mean most salaries well clear of the uh, of the PFA but Bernardo Silva has, has come in from from I'd say about 50 to 1 into 12 to 1 because he was another player that was linked away from a move at the start of the season and now and, mm. and, now, we're, and now the fact that he's staying there at the Etihad it's certainly bearing fruit and he's an absolute pleasure to watch yeah real shame he wasn't rested at Villa Park on Wednesday another player who's having a good season <laughs> George and it didn't always feel like he was going to be flavour of the month at Manchester City is Rodri Sam Lee said that he's become City's Mr Reliable I, I didn't realise the sheer size of the guy yeah, he is. Um, you know, a couple of seasons ago, him and uh, Ilke Gundogan were kind of rotating between that role, uh, the two of them. And, and Gundogan's um, evolution into a, a goal-scoring kind of free eight, or even kind of just an attacking eight, um, has enabled Rodri to really make that position his own. Uh, and he's, he's so good at it. I mean, every part of his game. It, it's amazing that he came from Atletico Madrid because he, I think the most underrated part of his game is his passing. You know, he, he's not necessarily a creative part, a creative passer, but he's someone who's so good at doing that, that Jorginho role, basically of, of getting on the ball, looking up and, and, and recycling it very quickly to the players either side of him. Uh, he's brilliant in the air. He's, he's very, very good um, physically. Uh, he's, he's good at breaking up play. He's very good at stopping counters and he's, at an age where there's no reason why he can't be doing this for Manchester City for, for the foreseeable future, he's really nailed it down as his own. Uh, and he's a, he's a you know, quite often, um, well, at least back in the day, uh, you'd say players playing in that holding midfield role, if you didn't notice them, um, that meant they were, they were doing a good job. And, and Rodri and, and Jorginho are two where that is just not the case anymore. They're able to do the physical side of things, Rodri more so, but they're on the ball. They're, they're so important to what they do for the team in, in terms of keeping possession, recycling it very quickly. And it's, you know, Manchester City are, are better than probably any team in the world at, at, in terms of what they do, passing the football and consistently every game, Rodri is the player with the most touches. Um, and you don't do that unless you are very, very gifted technically. 
Yeah, Watford have put in some good, decent displays recently and showed good resistance against Chelsea. It does seem cruel that after you've played Chelsea, you have to face Manchester City a few days later. But Adam Leventhal has been writing for The Athletic and he says the fear after Watford's 1-0 home defeat against Southampton a month ago was that games against Arsenal, Manchester United, Leicester, Chelsea and Manchester City would knock the stuffing out of them. In fact, as every game has passed, they have gathered more strength than belief. And they have been impressive, Steve. Have they got enough to stay up and what are the latest relegation odds? Yeah, the, the third favourite's done to go down at 8-11. to 11. And I suppose if you just look at the results, he's lost five of the seven games that he's been in charge of. But I think you rightly point to the teams that they've played against and, and, and many Watford fans will point to midweek where they were... I think they had more possession than Chelsea, more shots, more shots on target. Some data feeds are saying they had a better XG as well. Um, they're still conceding a lot of goals, but they're also scoring more now. I think they've got one of the highest XGs over the last three games that they have. Uh, Saar is out injured, which is a blow. Emmanuel Dennis has, has, has stepped up to the plate massively, six goals and, and five assists. Um, so, he, he, you know, he's producing, you know, his contributions on, on, on both of those have been fantastic. I think Josh King is, 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 is doing a good job as well. I think the balance of them in field is good. Uh, Sissoko is doing really well there. Um, and the fixture list now, up until Christmas after this Manchester City game, these bread and butter games are these type of games that, that Watford need to get points on the board. Brentford, Burnley, Palace, Wolves, massive fixtures. If they get points from that, Watford could be odds against, could be five to two pokes, you know, come Christmas time to be relegated and that'll be, a, that'll be great for Claudio Ranieri. Yeah, they've got goals in their team as well, which is important in a relegation dogfight. Steve, how do you see this one playing out? History of cricket scores in this fixture, Dan, for, for Manchester City. They've won their last 13 in all comps against them, scoring 50 goals and scoring 18 in the last three. I do think Watford are capable of scoring in this one. So I'm going to go for both teams to score. Sorry, I'm going to go for over two and a half goals and both teams to score. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Game three, Villa Park, Aston Villa versus Leicester, Sunday, 4.30. Only one game on telly mm. on Sunday, not sure what. <laughs> I was going to say, get out of your system now, Steve. Come on, talk about it. I know you're <laughs> dying to talk about the Villa fans uh, booing yeah. Jack Grealish. So come on, get it out of your system. It's not. It, it was a debate we're having at work amongst the uh, amongst the Villa fans, really. And I mean, they were saying to me, oh, I'm not bothered about it. You know, he's gone, he's... he's yeah, he was a good player for us in the time. He's, he, I think they got frustrated the fact he was still trying to, still playing the I'm a massive Villa fan card, yet yeah, he's tried to engineer a few moves, you know, in the past and whatever. And, and you know, 
people were were frustrated at that. Villa fans were frustrated and and and, and they booed him. It wasn't the majority, Dan, by and any stretch of the imagination. Was, yeah, it was mixed. But me personally, I I, I wouldn't have booed, I've never booed a player in my life, not even a Villa player. Um, but I I, th- I thought the the Villa till I die song was a was a little subtle uh, dig at him as well. You know, for a man who's uh, who's moved on to a bigger club, but. I think you can massively take heart from that second half performance anyway. Yeah, what do you... He'll, he'll, he'll play for you again. Yeah, you'll want to. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I don't understand about this whole thing is that he'll play... He's going to be a Villa player again in the next 10 years at some point. So, um, and he, he he's waved goodbye four years ago to Villa fans when he thought he was going to Spurs and he nearly went to United the season before. The only thing that changed this time is it actually happened. Um, you know, he 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 intended to leave fully in the knowledge of Villa fans. He tried to leave the club, not tried to leave actively, but he agreed to leave the club to what, two or three times before. This time it went through and, you know, I understand that um, sometimes football fans can be like jilted lovers, but in this case, I think people just have to grow up. Yeah, I clapped him when he came into the heart and at the end of the game. I'd never boo him. He did so much for the football club. Him and his family are still massive Villa fans. They always will be. Unfortunately, not all Villa fans are Champions League quality players and Aston Villa are in the Champions League. Jack Grealish wanted to play in the Champions League. Ultimately, that's why he left. And there's, I'm okay with that. There's one There's one massive issue for me where if I was, um, you know, you take Carney Chukwameka at the moment, right? A, a really exciting young talent. You know, somebody who's, who's got the affinity to Villa as well. If I see what's happened to, to Jack Grealish, I'm thinking to myself, right, I'm going to get out of here. I mean, first offer that comes why would I bother playing for two or three seasons for my for my childhood club for my boyhood team because if I do well and I leave I'm just going to be just going to be vilified it, you, you know you can't you can't win you, you know you played for what three seasons in the championship for them um, is the one who gets the worst reception because of that willingness to to stay there and, and probably because of what he achieved there it, 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 it doesn't make sense I will say I think there was a couple of suspect PR campaigns pre-season from Villa like the kit launch where Definitely. they're going to say it's my club and I'm sure he didn't want to do that knowing what was going to happen yeah. so I think there's been a few things gone on but, behind but the scenes that fueled the fire yeah look he's a there's no denying he's a Villa fan but I kind of thought that on Wednesday him just coming back and playing and coming up to the fans at the end I kind of think like it drew a nice little line under it now and hopefully we won't ever have to talk about it again Watkins has rediscovered his goal scoring touch, Steve. Credit to Gerard. You know, he's changed a lot in these three games. Villa have looked very, very good. And as managerial starts go, you know, two wins. They beat Brighton, who hadn't lost an away game all season. Beat Palace, who hadn't lost a home game all season. And then have run possibly the best team in the country very, very close on Wednesday night. As starts go, that's pretty good from Gerard. Uh, he's been fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm. I'm massively disappointed, as you can tell. I mean, for City not to get a, an XG of one and just to give up one chance against them, you know, second half I think by all accounts Villa were absolutely fantastic. I think I think Dougie Louise was was decent yeah, as well, brilliant. creating five chances. Yeah, yeah, already created five chances this morning, so that's uh, that's incredible as well. And and speaking to the you know, the Villa fans, noticeable change. You know, you're more aggressive off the ball. You're more organised with your press. You, you, the, the back four have got more. Per- protection and and another player that stepped up to the play. I know Watkins there he's scoring goals and seems a lot better without Danny Ings in the side but um, Nakamba as well has, has, has also been putting in good performances as well so I think it's it, it, it's quite from, from from maybe looking over their shoulders just a little bit towards the you know the bottom half the bottom three in this division all of a sudden Villa fans might be thinking we might have a chance here of getting into the top half so it could be it could be exciting times 
for Villa, Dan? Yeah, the midfield was the problem at Villa Park, George. But Gerard in three games, you know, anyone who's played central midfield has probably put in their best performances of the season since he's come in. I guess if there was any pla- any sorry any manager that was going to sort out a midfield, it was Steven Gerrard. <laughs> Yeah, you would think so. Uh, and you're starting to see, you know, certainly John McGinn looks to be in- enjoying himself playing under Gerrard. Um, and I thought Emmy Brandia put in his one of his best performances. Yeah, starting so to say what he shirt. is now. I wasn't sure, but I'm starting to say what he's about Finally, a bit now. I've yeah. had to, a couple of Villa sporting friends have been like, are you, are you sure about this guy? I'm like, yeah, it's going to be okay. I promise he's quality. Just You just got to keep the faith and don't, um, you know, that that assist um, that would have been for, for Carney's goal would have been uh, absolutely unbelievable where he, he took it and uh, and gave, gave it about three times in a row before playing the ball through and he should have scored to be honest um, yeah I mean the, it, clearly the start that Gerard has made is, is very very good um, and you know I, I think there probably has to be a level of reality check amongst um, some Villa fans that he can't be judged on this start necessarily you know it, it's been a, an amazing turnaround and um, for Gerard himself I'm sure he's looking at this as, as very much a long term um, plan and um, we're seeing the style of play change, you know, under Dean Smith, um, the the pressing metrics are always some of the some of the highest in the in the league. We're now seeing Villa sit off a little bit more, um, which may be why we're seeing um, those midfield players thrive a bit more because it's it's obviously tough to be playing um, a high press when you're consistently that press is being broken. Um, but yeah, all, all signs are very good, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Villa continue to to develop because I, I'm not necessarily sure long term that's how um, Gerard will like. Villa to play, but certainly it's 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 kind of caused uh, an uptick in fortunes in the short term. Yeah, Leicester two two with Southampton in midweek still can't defend to save their lives, but Madison is one obvious shining light in recent weeks. Steve, it feels like he stepped up when Leicester needed him most, but it still feels like there's something a bit off with Leicester. It does seem in some ways a little bit stale at the King Power. It's Grand Dog Day from set pieces, isn't it? It's it's mm. it's incredible that, that how many goals that they that they concede there I mean, defensively uh, as well. Even though the king is back and he scored in midweek, that one clean sheet, one clean sheet. I think that was in the opening game of the season against against Wolves. The loss of Tillemans in, in in the middle has obviously been a blow as well. But yeah, Madison has been in, clearly in good form. He's had a great end to November, the start of December, scoring in the Europa League and a couple of Premier League goals as well. Good to see him back to form. He's 25 now. That kind of passed me by. I, thought, mm. I don't know whether he's still pigeonholed as a young player. He's, he, he's 25. He's, he's, he's been up and down form-wise and been in and out of the side. Um, so... Hopefully we can see him kick it on and, and the fixtures now and the 16 to one to finish in the top four now, Leicester. So, you know, that chance looks to have gone uh, notoriously bad finishes, weren't they? The last couple of seasons. Um, but, you know, they've got Villa, they've got Newcastle, they've got Tottenham and they've got Everton coming up before a Christmas double header against uh, Manchester City and Liverpool. Listen, I'm not going to say they're going to be in any trouble or anything like that, but if they want to try and keep in around the top six, they'll need to get some points in the next few games. Yeah, Vardy feels like he's going through one of his good runs of form, George, at the moment. He's got a great record at Villa Park, unfortunately, but he's probably going to need to be rotated a little bit over Christmas. And in my mind, I'd quite like that to be Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I wonder, because even though he's he's an age where you would expect him to have to be rotated in and out, is, is there a fitter player in the Premier League? I mean, he... He doesn't play in any way like he's in his mid thirties. He, he plays consistently, and he and he's you know his 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 output is also very consistent as well. You know he had a couple of chances that he probably should have put away against Saints in midweek. Um, he played well again. You know he offers more. Uh, you know what I said about Antonio in terms of his energy. You know certainly with Vardy, he's someone who is prolific, but also offers a lot more than just goals um, in terms of, p- of penning the opposition back. And it's going to be interesting. This, I mean, I think that as a neutral watching this. 
you know, two strikers at very different stages of their career. But in, in Watkins and, and Vardy, you've got two of the most enjoyable strikers to watch who are both full of goals and, and both in good form. What's your prediction for this one, George? On that note, I, I am backing um, I'm backing Ollie Watkins to score any time at 15 to 8. Um, as you uh, as you put it, Dan, uh, Leicester still cannot defend at all, even though we're seeing an improvement in terms of their attacking output with, with Vardy in good form, with Madison in good form, with Harvey Barnes starting to come to good fo- into good form as well. Um, defensively, they still look very poor and, and Saints look dangerous pretty much every time they went forward. Um Watkins is in decent nick, uh, playing as that as that's in that striker role as well. It, it seems um, unlikely to me that he's not going to get at least a couple of decent chances to get on the score sheet. So fifteen to eight seems fair. And when you compare that, you know, Villa are, are eleven to eight favourites to win the game um, ahead of Leicester at two to one. But you look at the goal scorer markets, and Jamie Vardy is is, is a shorter price than than Ollie Watkins to score. I, I don't think that's right. I think they are. Clearly, the two likelier scorers, but with with Villa more likely to win the game and therefore more likely to score. I think Watkins is the is the value at fifteen to eight to get on the score sheet. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after fifteen seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Monday night football is Everton against Arsenal. Now the big question from Arsenal's defeat at Old Trafford is the obviously the first goal, um, Smith Rowe's goal. Are we all happy that that was given? Do we all we all agree with that decision? I think I probably do. I don't think there's a question, is there? Now, no. I mean, it seems I would be if I was a United fan, I'd be. I was going to say I'd be frustrated with De Gea, and the only reason why, and this this sounds harsh, but. It's the fact that a couple of minutes later, he's jumping around complaining with the referee. You don't even lift your head to see what's going on when a ball's been swung into the box. You know, you know when you're badly hurt. Um, uh, you know, I, I normally, you know, would give a lot of sympathy to, to players who are hurt. And you obviously got a kick from Fred, but there has to be some kind of, you know, we, we've all seen keepers who've sustained an injury that react and try and sometimes unsuccessfully um, react to the situation. But De Gea should know that he's not going to get the whistle isn't going to be blown um, for him being injured. My, my only thing I can think of is that he just must assume it was it was an opposition player rather yeah, than, than his own that. teammate who kicked him. Yeah, because otherwise, otherwise it's just incredibly naive from him. And, and I would have massive sympathy with De Gea if you know, and uh, maybe this will come out afterwards. I doubt it. But if he was injured, you know, if if the goal's then given and he's stretched it off, then you've got to say, well, something's wrong there. That seems incredibly unfair for a guy to be lying down on the floor, incapable of of, of doing his job, and the goal is scored. But but that wasn't the case. So I find it difficult to have much sympathy for him. And you know, the goal the goal rightfully stood. Yeah, mindless decision from Erdegaard as well in the game, Steve. Don't be bringing people down in the box like that. Just completely unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, he, he scored about. 15 minutes before hadn't he um, do you think he was like so pumped from his goal 
you know, he's just a, a bit of a head I loss. Just, I, I just thought it was a bit of an experience. It was Fred, wasn't it, that he, yeah. that he brought down, that got the wrong, that got the wrong side yeah, of Fred him. Fred was involved in everything last night. It was incredible. He was, I mean, <laughs> just going off the Odegaard subject, he, Fred was involved with everything. I couldn't believe how many times he gave the ball away in about the first five minutes, Fred. It was absolutely incredible. But he played a part in a, in a very crucial penalty as well for, you know, for, for our man Ronaldo to finish it off. You know, Odegaard has, has done okay this season and scored a good goal as well. Very similar to the Ronaldo goal that had scored earlier. Got back into the game and to do an inexperienced challenge like that will be very frustrating. But I suppose it's been a frustrating season for Arsenal so far this campaign. James McNicholas is one of the Arsenal writers for The Athletic and he's had his say this morning. He states that Arsenal are developing a bad habit of stepping off the gas once they're in front, George. What's that down to? Is it like Steve says, is it a little bit of naivety, a little bit of inexperience? I guess so. Um, you know, I mentioned the um, the lack of game management against Liverpool a couple of weeks ago, and and here it was kind of a similar feeling where they they're in the ascendancy, especially early on in the game, and uh, as soon as they went ahead, that they didn't keep to the game plan. They looked to, to to well, whether they looked to sit in or not, they suddenly kind of went into their shell, and you wonder, as is touched on in, in the piece, if it's players um, being inexperienced, whether it's Arteta himself being inexperienced. But, you know, Arteta's now been Arsenal manager for, for, for the best part of two years. Um, and you've still got players like Thomas Partey, like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, you know, these aren't necessarily inexperienced. Whilst there is a smattering of that, um, I, I think it's a little bit too base just to say, um, you know, it's a young team, it's a young manager. Well, he was the experienced manager um, in that game as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I've got into the the nerdy stuff here, here um, using a, a, a brilliant service um called fox punter who, uh, Ooh, who are a paid service where you can get all your all your xg data from them um to give them a plug if i'm allowed to and uh, as i say it is, it is a paid service but they um have loads of xg tables kind of categorized by different metrics and, and they've got a pre-deadlock and a, and a, a post-deadlock xg ratio table basically showing what how, how a team is performing in terms of xg for and against before a goal is scored and then after a goal is scored and pre-deadlock Arsenal are third in the XG ratio table this is before last night I should hasten to add as well so it only would have increased um, with an XG per 90 of of 2.264 and 0.79 against that's a 73% XG ratio um, in their favour which is is a massive positive only Man City and Brentford are higher then you go post-deadlock which is after a goal has been scored Arsenal are per 90 1.14 1.5 against 30 sorry 42% only Burnley Watford and Norwich are lower now that shows that this isn't just a a case of variance where they are scoring goals and then and then things are going wrong for them they are a side who it doesn't matter if, if they're going ahead or if they're going behind are that their performance levels are massively dropping as soon as a goal is scored and that is something that has to be ironed out because whether that is something that Arteta is looking to you know, is it is it poor in-game management for him where he's failing to react with, with what's going on in the pitch? Is it a mentality thing where the players are, are unaware of how to react when they go behind or ahead? I don't know. Thankfully, it's not my job to to, to, to work it out. A third of the way into the season here and that is, you know, that is clear evidence that there is a, a shift in performance levels after the goal is scored. It's something they've got to sort out. Yeah, let's just wake Steve up then. So, I think the game last night was more... <laughs> he loves this yeah. stuff. <laughs> I do, I know, I do. I, I, yeah, I'm there. I think the game last night probably showed that Arsenal are a striker short. I think we spoke about it a little bit after the Liverpool game and Thierry Henry copied us on Thursday night in the studio because Aubameyang just doesn't quite fit in with the ethos that Arsenal have got going on at the moment. They've probably got the right amount of strikers, but have they got the right type of striker, Steve? 
I don't know. Is he is he is he at it about Miang at the moment? I'm 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 not quite he's sure. He's in my about, fantasy uh, team, so he has not been at it for it? the last two games <laughs> since I put him in. No. Well, we have talked about it, and before you'd you'd be hopeful if you're an Arsenal fan of at least one one striker coming of, of of quality to help you kick on. But I think it's uh, and of course Lacazette looks to be leaving as well. So it is it is a frustrating for Arsenal Arsenal fans and uh, I suppose Arteta as well at the top end of the pitch so far this season. Yeah, and Ketia could be off. As well, George, just on a separate note, where, where do you think he might end up going? I was thinking about this this morning um, and it's hard to kind of know who would would want him. You know, we, we mentioned there that West Ham, West Ham are obviously a, a team who, who are probably looking to bring in a striker um, and he would, you know, it would be a bit of a leap of faith from West Ham to think that he's capable of playing at that level because, you know, we look at the one time he left Arsenal in the past, he went to Leeds and, and barely really made an impact. Uh, Brighton are another one who look, yeah, you know, who are very keen to develop develop young talent um, who you know they will be very very aware of um, in terms of the numbers whether or not Inketi is someone who could add to them but they need a striker as well you know we saw when, when Malpe was out um, they kind of became more toothless and he came back into the side and they, they got he got a goal in midweek as well so I, I guess a team of that ilk um, possibly Wolves as well you know someone who could vie for Raul Jimenez um, you want to play though won't he's never been back well. up somewhere else is it when he's already back up at Arsenal I think I think I think he would play. I, I think at those sides, you know, he, he may not. It's it's pretty rare these days um, to be guaranteed of 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 starts as a Premier League. But I think if he went to a kind of mid-table Premier League side looking to to climb, I, I think he'd get enough game time, uh, at least enough game time to prove himself. And then if he played well, um, continue playing. You know where I think he'd be good, next to Tony at Brentford. Yeah, yeah. I think I he'd see that as well. Very well there. I'm surprised. I mean, they've been uh, they've been in for Balogun before, haven't they? Mm. Um, Brentford. Um, Tony and Nketiah so has got you know, a nice little ring to it up front. They brought in De Silva from Arsenal as well, so they're not. Um, yeah, they've they've looked to, to go that way before. Um, but yeah, he's certainly. I mean, that and it's he's also a player who probably, depending on how much he would cost, you know, he has as with all goal scorers, especially ones who who have that caliber. If things go well, his um, his sell on would be would be pretty pretty big. You'd have thought. Yeah, I stuck this next point in for producer Adonis, Dave. Have Arsenal revived themselves, or was it just a kind fixture list? Oh well, I mean they are <laughs> they are still favourites over Spurs to finish in the top four this season. So they are fifth favourites. Yeah, your Manchester United are ten to eleven. Arsenal are one hundred to thirty. Um, so and with with Spurs at four to one as well. And Spurs ahead I think of West people Ham. Were sub- yeah. Ah, interesting. Yeah, nine to two. Yeah, nine to two. There's not a great deal. There's not a great deal between them. But I think. You know, people with Spurs winning last night, and I think looking at the league table at the end of the night as well, all of a sudden, you know, Arsenal being in fifth and in their wing mirrors are Tottenham with a, still an extra game to play, just a point behind as well. So mm. time will tell. Yeah. But you know what we like, and we know what people are like. We know what social media is like. You're only as good as your last game. There's no, there's, there's never any middle ground these days, is there? You're just as good as your last game, basically. So it's all doom and gloom for Arsenal. Let's have a look at Everton then. I mean, I don't think there's a more toxic environment at any Premier League club right now, George. Is there any point sticking with Benitez when it feels like it's going to be quite impossible for him to succeed? There, the fans, some well, a big section of the fans didn't really want him anyway. They started okay, but injuries have really been a problem for them. But they're just all over the place. Everything about the club feels all over the place. There's a great piece on the Athletic that I read before we came on, just going over that and looking at the mess that is Everton at the moment. The fans are, are booing their own players at away games which and at home games as well, which is never a good sign. But Patrick Boyle and Gregor Keefe have done a piece on The Athletic saying they think with money you can handle everything. Everton, a club spiralling out of control. That probably sums it up quite nicely. 
Yeah, I, I saw a, a, um, a headline saying Mashiri um, to give Benitez a couple more weeks. And in my head, I was like, well, couldn't that also read Benitez to give Mashiri a couple more months? Because the, the idea that this is all Rafa Benitez's fault is just so wrong. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not absolving him of blame at all, although, although I would point out that he's... You know, he's, he's rarely struggled in a managerial post like this before and, and he's a long line of managers who've struggled. Their recruitment has been absolutely abysmal uh, up until the summer where... Erratic, you know, I would say. That, well, I mean, I, there are very few positives. You know, Calvert-Lewin is clearly one. Um, Andros Townsend and Damari Gray, uh, particularly for, for, for the amount of outlay, have, have clearly been very astute signings. But the amount of money they've wasted on, you know, going back five, six years, Klaas and Balassi, like for eye-watching sums but it's just been consistently poor business um and i understand that a lot of everton fans probably didn't want rafa to start with and, and still don't but but the notion that um the change in the manager you know it, it, it's a classic football case of there's one thing you can change and that's the manager and therefore it's he's normally the one who 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 is blamed who gets the blame and is the one to move on um but i, I don't think it would solve anything I, I think they've got a man in, in rafa benitez who's proven to be somebody who can um overachieve with, with clubs uh he hasn't got much to play with he hasn't got very good tools at his disposal and, and I personally think that sacking him now um, would leave Everton in, in massive danger of, of, of getting relegated because I, I don't know who they think. You know, th- this isn't this isn't like um, even though at Manchester United, for example, there are, there are massive issues behind the scenes. This isn't like a case of well, you know, another manager will come in. It's a great squad and improve them. That's not true. You know, when Calvert Lewin is, is back in the side they're going to be a completely different proposition because they've got players who can get the ball onto his head. They've recruited in order to be able to get Dominic Calvert-Lewin into goal-scoring chances. But at the moment, that's not an option and it's not working. But yeah, if they were to, to sat Rafa and bring in, I don't know, Duncan Ferguson on a short-term deal or something, I'd be I'd be really, really concerned that they could be getting right down in amongst it for the, uh, for the rest of the season. And Steve, how's this one going to play out on Monday? Well, they're clearly not in form. Dan, are there two points from from twenty four? The the atmosphere after that, you know, the heaviest defeat in a home in a home derby in thirty nine years. So I'd imagine there might be a few more protest banners. Um, even though we talked about a few negative things about Arsenal, I think it's a great time to be going to Goodison Park. Not if you're an Everton fan, of course. So I'm just going to keep it simple and say Arsenal to win around eleven to ten. Thank you very much, Steve. Just enough time before we go to remind you that if for some reason you're still not a subscriber to The Athletic and you'd like to change that, head to theathletic.com slash footballpod and gain full access to all the brilliant stuff on the website as well as ad-free podcasts for just £3.33 a month for an entire year. To do that, just go to theathletic.com slash footballpod. My thanks to Steve and George and, of course, all of you for listening as well. Remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss a show. Mark Chapman, David Ornstein and company are back on this feed on Monday. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Enjoy all the football and have a great weekend. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.